The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them, but the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight there was a cry, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. About this time of year, we begin to see lots of changes in the world around us. We see that, of course, the, the light of day begins to shrink in the amount of time that we have to be able to work in the light. We see also that the trees, so many of them, begin to go from beautiful greens to not-so-beautiful browns uh, as the death of the leaves is coming. And not only that, but also in the, those are the, the external things, but also in the life of the church, we come and we begin to hear about the last things, about death and judgment of heaven and hell. And we're reminded ultimately by the things in the world around us, as well as by the scriptures that we hear proclaimed to us from our Lord, we're reminded that we are not supposed to stay here. That as St. Paul would call us, we are strangers and sojourners. We're wandering through this land in this life, but we're not meant to stay here forever. But rather, by living in this life well, we're called to gain eternal life and to go home to heaven where we belong. And so the scriptures encourage us to reflect upon that reality, upon especially focusing on the reality that We are supposed to be spending this time preparing, not this time as if it was a sort of vacation and end-all, be-all in the course of this life. So that end, Jesus gives us the gospel passage that we just heard, the parable of the kingdom, especially spoken through the ten virgins. The ten virgins represent the church. And it's interesting to note that he divides it right down the middle. Five are foolish and five are wise. That immediately goes in the face of something that so many in our world today believe. There's a general understanding that when you die, you go to heaven. Period. That's the common belief. And if that's the reality, why do anything good? Why strive to be a person of faith? Why trust in God? Why not just 
Do whatever you want, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow will die, as the scriptures would put it. But that's not the case, Jesus reminds us. He reminds us very clearly that it's not just we die and then we go to heaven, it's that we die and then we are judged. We are judged whether we are fools or whether we are wise. And wisdom and foolishness is not in comparison with the normal things of the world where you might be able to study it by one's IQ or one's grade point average. Rather, foolishness is those who refuse to do the will of God. And wisdom and those that seek him out in all things. Foolishness and wisdom in the eyes of the gospel are not something that's only limited to a certain group of people. No one's predisposed to one or the other. It's not as if some people just can't have wisdom because they can't muster it. Rather, it's simply a decision to love God or not. And so we're divided in the end, the wise and the fools. These ten virgins, the wise and the foolish, both are waiting for the bridegroom to come. Jesus was speaking this during his earthly life, but for us, we understand this in much more vivid and realistic terms. Because Jesus has ascended to the Father. He's gone to prepare a place for us. In the ancient times, the husband, uh, when, he would, when he proposed marriage, they would go off and he would prepare the home. He would make sure everything was ready. And then he would come back to get his spouse. They would enter into the marriage bond and the whole community would join together for the ceremony and for the marriage feast. And so the Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, has gone off to prepare the home for us. He's gone to heaven and he's making our place. And he will come back. The bridegroom will not leave the bride waiting forever. But it's a little longer than we might expect. That's the importance of the lamps. And especially of the oil. The lamps that the virgins have is the light of Christ. It's the light of faith. It's the light and the guidance of our Lord and his strength that God gives to us to be able to walk in the path to heaven. The Lord Jesus calls us to it, but none of us can walk in darkness. We have to have light to see the path. And the light that helps us to see the path is the grace of Jesus. Without Jesus and his strength, we can't get to where we're going. We won't know the way to heaven without the help of our Lord. And so we have to have the light. But in order to have the light... We must also have the oil. And here's the part where the foolish and the wise are divided. The foolish don't bring enough oil, but the wise do. The oil our Lord is talking about certainly is not physical oil. It's the oil of a life of faith. It's the oil of being able to simply be a person of prayer. To come to Mass. To devote... Whatever time we can each day, even if it's just a few moments, for prayer with our Lord. To read the sacred scriptures, to allow them to soak in and to sink into our hearts, that they might change our hearts. To be able to give forgiveness and to seek it out even quicker. To be able to be kind to one another. To be humble. To be caring. To serve those who are in need, the poor. Because in serving them we serve Christ. And in doing all of those things and more, we increase the store of oil that we have. 
Not that we do it ourselves. It's not that I'm personally storing up oil for myself. But it's the fact that if I give my life to Christ, if I do these things in a life of prayer, Christ will himself increase the oil. We see parallels in the Old Testament of, of, the, of the prophets who would go and they offer, uh, they offer a, a little gift. If you do this, the Lord will continue to bless you. And things become overwhelmingly increased. And such the same with the Lord. Is he come and he increases the oil to the extent that we desire it to be increased. To the extent to which I'm willing to show love. To love God and to love neighbor and to allow that to change me. Christ fills us. And so it's the importance of the oil. Because without the oil we can't have the light. Unless we live a life of faith we can't actually know and experience the grace of Jesus Christ that gets us into the heavenly path. And so it's to live the life of faith. When the bridegroom comes back, things change a little bit. Some of them are caught off guard, right? The foolish, they had only prepared enough oil for a little while, and so they, they, thought, it was, they thought it was enough. They thought they had enough, and so they settled for it. But the wise went over and above, taking more oil, extra, because they didn't know how long the bridegroom would delay. And when the Lord Jesus comes back, when the bridegroom returns to us, there will be two types of people. Those who are ready and those who are not. Those who have extra oil and those that are rushing around trying to find some to make it work. And the sober reality is when the Lord Jesus comes, it's like the clock hits zeros. There's no extra place. There's no more time. There's no more repentance because we've had our chance. And we're judged based on that experience then. When the Lord Jesus comes, so whether he comes in his glory or whether he comes by the fact of us experiencing the death in this world, we will be judged at that moment. We will be named fools or we will be named wise. Here Jesus kind of throws us a little bit of a curveball. We know that as Christians we're supposed to be kind to others and charitable. As kindergartners, right, we learn it's good to share. And yet whenever the foolish virgins look at the wise and go, let us, some have a, let us have some of your oil, share with us your oil. You would expect Jesus, who's telling the parable, to go, yes, and they shared their oil and it was generous and it was enough. But Jesus puts the words on the wise virgin's lips that simply says, no. No. And it's the reminder to us. That Jesus is telling us, not everything can be shared. We can share a cloak. We can share our food. We can share so many of the physical things of this world. But the one thing we cannot share is our faith, in a real sense. Oftentimes the sentiment is that if someone else, if we're connected to someone of faith, then that means we're okay. But the simple reality is that God has no grandchildren. God only has children. I can't go to someone else and say, let me have your oil. Let me have your faith because I don't have myself. Let me have your time spent in prayer because I didn't do it myself. Let me have your good works of charity because I didn't do them myself. We can't share that. We can't share a life of faith because one must have faith in themselves. 
We can't rely upon our relationship to someone else who has a relationship to God. Because it doesn't work that way. It has to be a personal experience of faith. Not simply to be a Catholic in name, but it be a Catholic in truth. A Christian in truth because we have chosen Jesus Christ and we know him. And he knows us. Because that's the important piece. The foolish virgins were not prepared for the day of the Lord. They didn't live the life of faith. They didn't have a life of prayer and of charity and conformity to the gospel. They simply lived their entire life as they desired and figured it would be enough. But when the Lord Jesus comes, he shuts the door and they come to him and they say, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. And the response from the other side, I do not know you. I do not know you. If you want to have a nice sobering time of reflection and prayer, place yourself in the presence of the Lord. I would encourage you especially to maybe even to be able to come to church and to sit in the presence of our Lord of the Blessed Sacrament and quiet your heart and imagine the Lord saying those words to you. I do not know you. And if it doesn't make your lip quiver and tears stream down your face, then you don't understand what those words mean. It's an important thing for us to recognize the knowledge of the Lord. It's one thing for us to know him. It's a different thing for him to know us. For him to know us is to be able to see in us an image of himself. To see that in our life, we've tried to live like Christ. We've done it imperfectly, yes, because we're all sinners and we're all weak. But for us still to try... To try to live our lives like Christ. To try to conform our hearts to the heart of Jesus. And to the extent that we do so, he sees us. He knows us. Because he knows himself in us. What a sad day it would be for us to hear those words. I do not know you. But what joy and delight for the five wise virgins who don't hear those, con- those condemning words, but rather hear, welcome to the feast. The table is prepared. Here is your seat. To be warmly received, there is no greater joy. And that's what we desire. Because that's what we were created for. So how do we gain that? How do we experience that joy? I'll posit that there are three basic things that we can do to remember the importance of heaven and to strive for it. The first is not to compare ourselves to others. Sometimes in this life, it's easy for us to compare myself versus another person. And in doing so, to say that, well, in comparison to them, I'm doing pretty good. And we feel good about ourselves. We feel good about our life. But the Lord Jesus, whenever we come before our judge, he will not judge us against another person's life. He will judge us against himself and the gospel. It's not, were you better than them? It's, did you follow the call of the gospel? Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Did you do that? Did you love me? Did you love others? That's the measure of our care. Not how we judge against another person, 
but simply how we measure up against Christ himself. The second thing that's important for us is always to strive for more. Again, the five foolish virgins that thought that they had enough oil. It was good enough. And good enough got them locked out of the feast. So it's an encouragement to us never to settle for enough. When it comes to Jesus Christ, there's never enough. There's never enough love. There's never enough charity. There's never enough mercy. There's never enough forgiveness, whether being received or being given by us to others. There's no such thing as enough. Because as soon as we have enough, we find out that we didn't have enough at all. That we've in fact run short. And so for us always to strive to do more. That doesn't mean we have to be busy bees all the time, trying to do everything under the sun that that deals with church life, but simply to ensure that we do have a continuous life of faith. That it grows over time, because it's supposed to be a life of faith, not just a static reality. Not to content ourselves with settling for the bare minimum or the basics. If I do just this much, this much, That's enough for me to get into heaven. That's not our approach to our Lord, right? Rather, always to give more. To show love even more. And the third thing is to simply begin to change. Whenever we talk about conforming our hearts to Jesus, it can seem like a a, a radical thing. That we have to completely transform our life and much like the disciples, leave everything behind and transform everything about us. But that's not really the case. The simple reality is that Jesus doesn't usually call us to such radical conversions every time. He calls us to do one thing and to do it well. So what's your one thing today? What's the one thing that you can do beginning here and now? To show Christ your love. To show him that you are in fact wise. That you're mindful of the heaven that awaits us. And you're working to gain more oil by the grace of Christ to get there. It doesn't have to be big things. It could be a renewed commitment to coming here to Mass. A renewed commitment to a life of prayer. Even just a starting point. A few minutes a day spent in prayer is a few minutes spent well. To be able to renew one's commitment to reading the scriptures. To do acts of charity towards others. Maybe it's that there's a grudge that we've been holding against someone and we need to give, give that over to the Lord and extend forgiveness. And we need to receive forgiveness from someone else. That we need to forgive ourselves. Any number of things are possibilities which Christ may be inviting us to take up. To do that one little thing. And so to ensure that we never settle for enough oil, but we always have an overflowing abundance. And so as we come today, we ask the grace of this Mass that the Lord would give us the strength to be able to do that one thing today. To be able to draw closer to Him above all. That on the last day, whenever the Lord calls us to Himself by whatever means, we might not stand foolish and condemned, but we can stand wise and rejoicing. Welcome into the feast to rejoice with the gift of the bridegroom and the bride for all eternity.